Welcome to Important Not Important. My name is Quinn Emmett. And I'm Brian Colbert Kennedy. Still, still is. For now. Despite everything. Hey, this is the podcast where we bend the motherfucking arc of history towards a more livable planet, which is a high bar these days for you, for me, and for everybody else. We're going to dive into a specific question that's affecting everyone on the planet right now. Which, again, is choosing from a lot of things. So many things. Um, if it can kill us uh, or make the future a hell of a lot cooler for everyone, then we are in. Our guests are scientists, doctors, engineers, politicians, astronauts, journalists, even a reverend. And mm-hmm. we work together toward action steps that our listeners can take with their voice, their vote, and their dollar. Right. And this is your friendly reminder that you can send questions, thoughts, and feedback to us. Uh, on Twitter, important not imp, uh, where we don't have to sanitize it after we receive it, or you can email us at funtalk at importantnotimportant.com. You can also join tens of thousands of other smart folks, and you can subscribe to our free weekly newsletter at importantnotimportant.com. Also requires zero sanitizer. Zero sanitizer. Yeah, it's great. It's great. This week's episode is really a story about being stabbed in the back and then how we deal uh-huh. with that. Uh-huh. Who's and our guest? Going the way. Uh, she's, oh man, she's great. She's uh, really great. Our guest is Dr. Arthi Krybik, and she is an immigrant, check, mother, check, check, activist, check, check, neuroscientist, check, check. who uh, got one <laughs> white guy elected. Yeah. And I know this will surprise many of you. Despite making a bunch of promises, it turns out, What's the word? Uh, oh, he What's sucks. Thing? Oh, he sucks. Yep, yep. And so now she has decided to take him down herself. Uh, because again, and I want to be clear, this isn't just some random race. We're talking about something affecting everyone on the planet right now. And, and that is having people in office that actually do what they say they're going to do. Wow. And again, more specifically, our prism, voting for a Green New Deal. and also. Uh, Medicare for all, because look around you, folks. Look what's um, happening. Uh, yep. And uh, but don't go outside your door and look. Just look no, from, no, from the from, window, from inside. Yeah, yeah, out. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Um. So, uh, Ar- Arthi is uh, amazing, and uh, holy shit, man. Um, we got to make it happen, folks. We need you. So, uh, please enjoy a truly fantastic conversation with this inspiring woman. Let's go. Our guest today is Dr. Rathi Krybek, and together we're going to try to figure out, uh, and and this is just, it has become confusing to me, why it takes a PhD in neuroscience to just support a Green New Deal. Uh, Dr. Krybek, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Oh, well, we, no, how long that no, lasts. She's excited, and she should be, just like we are. We're more excited, for sure, but... Uh, Always. <laughs> thank you, honestly, very much for being here. If we could uh, get going, Arthi, by just telling everybody really quick uh, who you are and what you do. Sure. Uh, my name is Arthi Krybik. I am a neuroscientist by training. And right this very minute, um, besides talking to you all, I am running for Congress in New Jersey's 5th District. Whoop. Yes. Very exciting. Yeah. Concise. Ready to do this thing. Get into it. We love it. We're here to support you. As a reminder to everyone and, and to you, Arthi, uh, our goal on this podcast is to provide uh, some quick context for the question or the topic, uh, uh, and then we're going to dig into some 
not just questions, but action-oriented questions that get to uh, the core of why uh, we should all give a shit about it and you and what we can all uh, do to, to help support you. Does that sound good? That sounds great. All right. Rock and roll. Let's do this thing. Uh, Arthur, you did say you cheated and listened to some previous episodes. So <laughs> sorry, those hours of your life you're never going to get back. Could have been knocking on doors. Uh-huh. Uh, but we do like to start with one important question. Arthur, why are you vital to the survival of the species? I was really hoping you were not going to ask me that question, but... <laughs> <laughs> Too <Sorry>. bad. <laughs> Deal with it. I know. Come on, I know. be so bold. Why, so why am I vital? Well, so my first answer, which has always popped into my head, is like, well, I've taken that first basic step of ensuring the survival of a species because I've reproduced and I'm uh, raising, <laughs> raising two feminist sons. Um, so hopefully we'll yes. have a more equitable society. Love that. Um, so there is that. Um, and then, you know, really, look, what I'm doing right now is fighting for a Green New Deal. I'm fighting for Medicare for all. I'm fighting for the existential crisis that we are in, in this planet. Um, so I think that we need more people like me and like you joining the fight. I think we're all vital to the survival of our species. Yeah. And, and right now, that, f- <laughs> that feels pretty appropriate with, with everything that is going on. Well, uh, that sounds pretty great to me. I like it. It's going to take everybody, but I'm really glad that you are leading the way. You're in charge now. Congratulations. <laughs> I'm going to do a quick little context here. Uh, I thought about this and couldn't quite uh, settle on exactly what direction I wanted to go. Sometimes these things are super technical for, for if we're focusing on one you know, specific topic. Uh, and the guest is on the front lines of that. Sometimes it's more ethical. Sometimes it's more philosophical. Um, sometimes it's longer. Sometimes it's shorter. I do believe you'll be able to correct me on this one, though, if I'm wrong, because it is about why we're having this call today. Listeners, sometimes you spend all this time and energy immigrating to a country that's supposed to be a better life, and then you get a PhD, and not in like the classics or Shakespeare, as delightful as the old bard can be, but in neuroscience. And then you decide to use that degree and your expertise to focus on opiate addictions, because why not help others, right? That feels pretty timely, but that's not enough. Oh, no, no. You have uh, knocked out a couple kids, a couple feminist sons on the side oh. with your, uh, your, your medical doctor husband, because apparently you've both got a thing for brains, because uh, why not? And now you're a working mother and, and who's made intimately aware of how goddamn difficult that is in this country. And then after 2016, uh, which we thought was the darkest year, turns out less so, you say fuck it and you run for city council because you're acutely aware of how important the climate crisis is and in local action and how much we desperately need Medicare for all because you see it all the time with your husband working and, and that's it. Or is it? Because now you decide to become an activist for all these things because you've been so in touch with them and you spend a bunch of energy now campaigning for this Democrat and you actually get him elected and that's great. Except he turns out to be effectively garbage. Um, So what in this very fictional situation, listeners, would you do next? (laughs) Um, Turns out some of us, not naming names, would take all that life experience and wisdom and say, fuck it, I'll do it myself. And it shouldn't 
<laughs> have come to to moments like this. It shouldn't be this hard. It shouldn't require a, a woman of such incredible virtue and expertise to get the 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 one deal we need to prevent the the planet that we've basically been treating like a one star Airbnb rental from from turning into like a goddamn fireball. But that's where we find ourselves. And so here we are talking to Arthi, who's decided to to just get into the get into the game and try to fix it herself. And so we're thankful for that. And that's why we're talking to her. I want to find out though that was the historical version of of how of how things happen, but I, I've I've spent some more time recently in our conversations trying to get a little more to the bottom of why. Like what because our listeners like there's a question I like to ask about our guest past. It's not necessarily an exploration of their entire life story, but we're trying to find out the the why of why they do what they do and what they're fighting for. So I was making these notes for the conversation. I got to the part of your background where you talked about your your grandfather being a freedom fighter, and it felt like the perfect time to ask one of my one of my newer favorite questions, which is: Is there a specific relationship you can point to that was a catalyst for your actions to get you where you are today? And I find it's much more involved and specific way of asking why, why you, why this? So I wonder if you can tell us a little bit about that. Um, that's a great question. Um, why me? Why this? Right? Why this is really easy to tell you. It is critical. It is important. It is mind blowing to me that we are not all running around raising an alarm for the kinds of things that are happening around the world that are happening in our own backyard, right? Um, as a scientist, as a mom, as somebody, as a human being, we're all looking at this. We all see the skies falling for real and none of us, you know, seem, or very few of us anyway, seem to care. Um, and so for me, it was about saying, okay, well, what, what is going on and why are these people, why, why is this, Congress member who was supposed to be this glimmer of hope for us, right? In 2016, when we flipped my district, this person that I had supported and volunteered for, why is he not taking the lead? And in fact, I asked him that question. Right before, oh, really? Yes, I did. Um, in twen- Right before he was reelected, when we were all knocking on doors for him, I had a huge get out the vote valley for him in my backyard. 60 people showed up. I knocked on doors. Um, there are pictures of us together um, because I believed, I still believed that despite his very first vote where he overturned, you know, where he voted to um, overturn Obama era regulations on the environment for health, I still believe that he was, you know, going to be fighting um, for it. Mm-hmm. So I asked him this. I said, as this co-chair of the bipartisan, supposed bipartisan problem solving caucus, I need you to take up the climate change um, fight. We just had the IPCC report come out that said we had, you know, something like a decade and it's a very conservative estimate. And the answer I got was something like, I can't use that phrase climate change to talk to my constituents um, because I'm afraid of getting reelected. I mean, I'm paraphrasing here. And that struck me as horrendously wrong. <laughs> it's, this is not what elected officials are supposed to do, particularly not ones that I help support who are supposed to be Democrats. This is not just cowardly, this lack of leadership, of moral and ethical leadership, right? Um, it basically all you're doing is following that agenda of attacking science and truth and reason. 
And there can be no greater issue right now than the survival of our species, than this existential crisis that we're in. And the fact that my elected Congress member that I had supported was not just shying away, but she seemed to be running away from this issue and saying he couldn't use this word. How do you even try and define a problem when you can't, when you're not even brave or courageous enough to define it and say it? <laughs> um, and that to me was, was one of the, it was one of the worst kind of conversations I've had um, with, with an elected official. Um, and that was horrifying, considering that I was a council member at the time and I was fighting that fight, right, on a local level with similar constituents as he had. Why me? <laughs> this was not the plan. I never thought when I was a little girl that this is what I was going to be doing. It really wasn't. Sure. Um, when I was little, I, you know, I wanted to do this crazy thing called science. People, you know, laughed at me. I had folks telling me that that's not practical. Maybe you should be something else. Um, you know, get a real job. Um, you know, which frankly follows me to this day. Really didn't think this is what I was going to do. Right after the 2016 elections, you, you talked about this. For me, public service was something that I always did on the side. You know, knocked on doors for presidential candidates, all of that. Never felt empowered to do it myself. Um, but after 2016, um, you know, the, the day of the election, um, my boys and I—they were eight and eleven at the time—we went knocking on doors for to get out the vote for Hillary. We all wore pantsuits, by the way, matching navy blue pantsuits. Sure, gonna need a picture of that for the show notes. Obviously, um, yeah, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to get permission from the 14 year old to sure, share that. Sure. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Just tell him we'll put it on TikTok. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> yes, that'll be key. Um, as he puts it, "Mom, that is so cringy." Um, mm. <laughs> but I will say that. You know, so we came back expecting a celebration. Clearly, that's not what happened. Yeah. Clearly, explaining that to him or them is still difficult to do for me at this point. True. But the real kicker was, you know, weeks afterwards, so the hate crimes are spiking. All of these things are going on. And, um, you know, we turned off the TV. We said, you know, we're not, we're not going to watch what's going on. And um, my eight-year-old at the time you know, at that time, and parents know this is when all the worries come out, right? He was very worried. He couldn't go to sleep. He was talking to me and he said, you know, I'm really worried that you're going to be deported, that you are not going to be my mom in America anymore. And that, yeah, and that, you know, his grandparents, my parents were going to be targeted. And it was, it was wrenching to hear that. Um, for my son. And it was wrenching to understand that he was so afraid for me after having done all of these things, right? Being here for so long and being a proud, patriotic American citizen and feeling like, um, wow, my son actually feels as if this could be, and this is true, could be taken away from me, um, from all of us through no fault of our own. And so while I was able to hug him and tell him, it's okay. This is not, you know, what's going to happen to us. Look, the reality is there are far too many of us who can't do that with any kind of certainty. And to me, it was just a moment and a moment that still sticks with me where I thought, how do all, how does the rest of my community really feel right now? There's so many of us who feel so much less secure and safe and so much more vulnerable, you know, either because of how they look, how they act, um, who they love. Um, and none of that is okay. Um, and, you know, and I thought back uh, to my grandfather. So I grew up on stories of my grandfather, 
fighting for India's freedom, fighting against um, British colonialism um, and all the things that he went through um, and how proud he was of fighting even when it looked like there was, there was no hope. And to me, you know, that felt important that I, that courage, right, is part of my family lore. Um, my parents, when they left India, they, you know, didn't know what, what was going to happen. They left for this whole promise of America that, mm-hmm. you know, doesn't always come true for everybody. Um, and it's true. Sure. Um, and, you know, my mom had to take English classes just to feel comfortable enough to get on an airplane with us. Um, my dad had been here for a couple years earlier. So just thinking about really how much folks had done for me to get to a place of being able to do things for others, I, I just felt compelled to act, really, um, which is how I got into marching and organizing and being um, you know, being a city council member that I never thought I would be. Um, and it was that same compulsion, um, but also, honestly, anger and frustration and a real sense of, look, I'm a real Democrat. I believe in all of these values and my Congress member does not represent these values. So if I'm going to say, if I'm going to demand better, I need to step up and do more. So that was it. It's not a, it's not a complicated answer. And I don't know if it's, you know, if it's one that uh, it's an interesting one, but really just felt like we all have to do more. And I'm at a point where I have to try because if we don't, um, we're fucked. Yeah, I think that sums it up pretty well. And, and thank you for for sharing all that. I, I, I think it does matter to people when, when they see these things. And, you know, uh, Congressman AOC put out this video the other day, uh, yesterday maybe, this Twitter video talking about Everyone, you know, there's been this chitter chatter of, oh, if, if Sanders gets a nomination, which it doesn't look like he will, you know, could she be the vice president? And it, literally, is she even allowed to because she's so young? And and she put out this really interesting video talking about, like, that shit doesn't matter. We need to stop going from from hero to hero, from, like, savior right. to savior, because it's about the people on the ground doing it. But at the same time, I think it's really interesting, which is a thousand percent correct. And, and I love her perspective. I mean, she she has like the soul of like a, a, a of a 300 year old person who's lived 10 lives. <laughs> um, but I, 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 I do think it's interesting because people are especially in moments like this where everyone's locked in their house <laughs> listening to listening to us, unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> I. I do think we do look to those people and the people that are running for office and especially the people that are in office and want, I think there's this question of like, not just how did they get there, but why? Like, what are the things that drove them to to do this? You know, what made her, what pissed her off so much as a 28 year old bartender to run for Congress, you know, and, and, and what, and not just what, like what was the moment, but but why, and why did that affect her more? And and I th- also think it's helpful because our listeners are are so action oriented, and they're just out there doing shit every day. That I, I have I've tried to spend more time on this question because I also think it helps people to hear everything you just said, and and they might not have such a historic background or a grandfather's a freedom fighter, but there are things in people's past that they might not have questioned or thought about or or even learned about that can make them go like, oh, do I have a family history of like stirring shit up that I need to tap into? <laughs> or 
what are the things <laughs> I were t- I was taught that can that that can apply now because that stuff matters. So as much as I, I've really enjoyed hearing that, and 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 I'm thankful you shared it. I, I do think it matters to people because I think it shows them a, a way of like looking to the past to to help them sort of fight for the future. No, that makes sense. And honestly, you know, I will say that tied with that is that I have a history of um, troublemaking in a good kind of way, I suppose. Yes. <laughs> um, you yeah. know, look, my entire life, right? I, I grew up, I was born in India, the very traditional patriarchal society, uh, you know, and for for the most part, my family wasn't that much different um, than that. And so you know, I've been told what to do, how I'm supposed to act, who I'm supposed to be um, my entire life. And as it turns out, as my mom puts it, you know, you've always been stubborn and known your own way somehow. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I've always pushed back against those assumptions of Mm -hmm. how and what I should do. Um, And I think it's good for all of us to do that. And I think when I say that to people they get it. They're like, you're right. You know, I've, every, I've, every one of us has been limited in some way, right? Or mm-hmm. folks have told us mm-hmm. um, that you can't do this and you can't do that. And so we listen or we figure out how to go beyond that. I, I, I love it. And uh, good troublemaking is always good. I mean, look, some of our <laughs> listeners are, are definitely starting to veer towards like pure Batman vigilantism, which, you know, at this point, it's kind of time, you know? Um, hey. Yeah. I mean, whatever works. Brian claims to be a bartender at night. I don't believe him, though yeah. he makes some fantastic cocktails. Um, <laughs> That's the but difference with power. Yeah. Yeah. Look, man, we all need him at this point. For sure. Um, superpowers and cocktails. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, it, it does matter. And, 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 and those things being, I, I love when your parents are like, yeah, you've always been a troublemaker. It's like, great, go do that. Yeah. I think you would love a previous guest of ours, uh, Bina Venkatraman, uh, wrote a one, she's now the opinions editor at the Boston Globe. Um, she wrote a book last year called the optimist telescope, mm-hmm. um, thinking ahead in a reckless agent. And, and she had this, there's this sort of theme and in line in it and theme in it. Um, that has sort of altered my thing. I, I guess most helped me find better articulate my own thinking, but also help point me in a, in a much more specific direction mm. um, going forward. And, and the line is basically like, how can we be better ancestors? Mm. Mm. And, and I remember the first time I read that and reading her book before the, before we talked to her thinking like, Oh shit, that is, that is the thing. Like I'm raising, you know, three, you know, middle-class white kids in, in Los Angeles. Uh, and, and so, you know, they're going to be fine. Yeah. But the, but at the same time, both for them, but for, for everyone else, like how can you be a better ancestor? And if you can use that, like you said, to, take your past and your, and your grandfather's legacy and, and what your parents did to be so brave to come over here one by one and then take the English classes just to get on the plane and, and, and to help you and to get your degree and everything to make you go like, how do I use those things from the past to, to fight for the future? I think is so applicable and, and helpful. Anyways, I think you would love the book. She's she's fantastic. No, I totally love that. I'm actually looking it up right now. Um, not that I'm not yeah. paying attention to y'all. No, no, no. It's fine. <laughs> Brian literally texts half the halfway no, through the episodes. It's fine. Are we still doing this thing? Yeah. <laughs> I thought you were no. making cocktails for us. No. Oh, no, God, I, am, I am. I am. I am. Please, please, very please, quietly. Please. Yeah. Um, Shaking so slowly. <laughs> uh, Arthi, you know we 
we only really cover topics uh, from the perspective of, of, you know, how is this uh, one thing affecting everyone right now? You know, that that's our, our prism. Will it will it kill us all or, or will it make the future a hell of a lot cooler, you know, for everyone? And, uh, you know, one of those is often is often healthcare in the in the U.S., um, which is obviously a complicated discussion because uh, it's a nightmare. But also because so so many other people cover it from from so many different angles, which is great. And yet here we are now uh, with a once in a century virus quarantining people all, all over the world and 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 finally all over our country to their homes. A virus that, yeah, it, by the way, is possibly, I think, 10 times, at least 10 times as deadly as the flu. And so, so many Americans don't don't have health care and, and they can't afford it uh, or, or they can't take time off of work because they work in the, you know, gig economy or, or, or they're an immigrant. Uh, you know, the point is that they're going to suffer and, and we could have been so much better prepared for this. Could could you paint a picture for us? Uh, uh, you know, imagine a world where there's a, a, a specific coronavirus, right? And it hits just like it is now, except we've got Medicare for all in place. How, 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 is that, how would that be different? So we're dealing with this right now. Um, so I'm in Bergen yeah. County, New Jersey, right? Um, we're under a state of emergency as of two days ago. We okay. are right next to, um, you know, where we have New York City, where some of the most amount of cases, at least on the East Coast, we've had. Um, we have, you know, every day we hear about more folks, um, and we still don't know what the true count is or what the no. true count could be because, you know, of lack of testing. We knew <laughs> we could have been much better, better prepared, um, even months ago for a pandemic. Yeah, sure. Um, had we, you know, had an administration that believed in science that would allow for all of these things to happen. So first and foremost, the fact is we need government officials and we need folks who are not only not attacking science but actually believe in it and are going to let our nation's experts and public health experts do their jobs and not muzzle them um, and not downplay them for political gain. Um, that in and of itself is a baseline mm. that I never thought I would have to speak out loud. Um, you know, right. It seems a little insane. <laughs> like we shouldn't have to say it. We should not have to say it. Honestly, when I was getting my PhD, I thought doing the experiments um, and the you know multiple failures that you have when you do the experiments and trying to explain it, I thought that was going to be the hard part. I didn't think that I was going to be older and getting people to believe in science, especially the president to believe in science, was going to be something that I was ever going to have to do. And that to me is mind boggling, right? We're raising kids in an environment of this kind of distrust um, is does not bode well for our society unless we have people stand up and really talk, you know, talk about why that's dangerous. Um, so that's first and foremost. We don't even have to look that far to figure out what that society would be if we had Medicare for all, um, if we had any semblance of actual humanity and caring for all of us in this world. Uh, we can look at Europe, for example, for some of their for some of their policies. I mean, folks there they're going to follow or they are following the public health guidelines of staying home and self-quarantining and all of that because they're not worried that if they stay home for 14 days that they're going to lose their job, that they're not going to have money. Um, they're not sure. worried about you know lack of universal paid sick leave. Um, and just today, right? Just uh, hours ago, we heard that the Senate decided not to, uh, decided to block yeah. the Emergency Universal Paid Sick Leave Act. I mean, where is the humanity in that? 
we're, really, we're, we're literally in a pandemic. There's nothing. I mean, this is like a horror movie and we still have folks who are determined to be as cruel as possible. And it, it, it more than boggles the mind, it feels like a deliberate attack. We can talk about the fact that when we expand Medicaid and <laughs> Medicare coverage, um, folks are not going to be worried about, um, about what to do when they're sick. Um, about where any of those expenses are going to be. They're not going to be worried about going to the hospital um, for a respiratory illness. They're not going to be worried about... There, there's a level of freedom and there's a level of security, of basic security that comes from Medicare for All that can't be described. <laughs> um, and I think sure. that when we look at the world where we are all feeling a lot more secure in how we can actually help each other, there, there's a lot more that we can do um, in emergency situations like this, where we can feel a little bit more secure staying home with our kids um, because we are not worried about childcare, we're not worried about our jobs, we're not worried about um, how we can help care for each other. Um, and the fact that we don't have that in what we call one of the richest countries in the world um, is shameful. Yeah, that that sounds about right. I mean, it's it's <clears throat> it, it's really interesting to to open the the newspaper in the morning, whether you're physically <laughs> opening it uh, or, or on your, on your device uh, and read about, you know, it's just, this whole thing is such a fascinating, I mean, it's, it's going to be a, a terribly traumatic in, in so many ways. People will die. So many people get sick. So many people um, uh, will, will suffer in one way or another. Um, people will lose jobs, lose money, the markets, all, all, all of these things just, Besides just the mental anguish uh, from so many different versions of this, uh, as if people weren't suffering that enough uh, the past few years. It is also this fascinating social experiment in a number of ways in that, one, Americans are getting up and reading the paper and realize, and, and, and it, we are as if uh, we were a developing country looking at and reading about how things are going in Australia, which to be clear was entirely on fire a month ago. Yeah. Um, but but we're reading about how well they prepare. They were prepared for two months ago, and South Korea has has their drive by uh, drive through testing, and uh, we're reading and, and going like, "Well, wouldn't that fucking be nice?" Yeah. Um, and we don't usually have that reaction because that's not usually the case. E- even though when people go and get their medical care, when when they can, uh, you know, afford it, it, it's 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 pretty good. They, they just they're living in a vacuum. They don't realize how much it could it. it it could cost, which is, it could cost nothing. Um, but, here's the crazy so part. but here's the crazy part, right? So you talk about those people having insurance and saying like how much it could cost. I will tell you, sure. this is how I started off thinking, um, you know, when I first launched my campaign that folks sure. in my town, you know, in, in my county weren't going to care about it. I will say that even folks with good insurance, I haven't been to a single event and I, this is truthful. I haven't been to a single event, including like a gun violence vigil that I went to or anti-gun violence vigil that I went to, mm-hmm. um, where someone hasn't come up to me and told me about a healthcare horror stories. And for the most sure. part, the folks who come up to me have had insurance. They talk about sure. how they have decent uh. insurance and yet the bills are crazy. Yet they feel burdened. Yet the premiums are insane. Um, well, it's, it's not almost worse, but the, it, it's almost like you're in this false sense of security, yeah. right? Oh, I have insurance. I got it from my employer or I bought a version of Obamacare that's just been butchered by now. Yeah. And they think they're okay. And then they get these bills and go, hey, what the fuck? Uh, this is completely undoable. Like, now I can't eat. 
And that that is not an exaggeration. That happens all of the time. Yeah. And they feel like they can't complain because they have insurance. And then we sit and we say, this is not okay. This is not the way you should be living. And I feel like you give permission for people to really think about how limited their lives are and really understand you know, what is happening and how we, how actually, frankly, the insurance company and the way the healthcare system is um, deeply limits us as human beings. So then sure. when you add the pandemic on top of it, and you realize that we have just screwed up for, yeah. for an order of magnitude that cannot be expressed. Um, I mean, the testing itself is completely mind-boggling to me. So I was reading reports um, in the New Yorker, I guess, about a month ago about Iran and the fact that they didn't believe in quarantine um, and, you know, and masks. And I think there was this famous incident of the health minister saying, oh, no, everything's okay and falling ill sure. with um, mm-hmm. their mortality was something like 8 to 18%. And I thought, well, yeah, it's, it's shocking. It is shocking. And you know what's even more shocking? We are as unprepared in some ways. Yeah as Iran and, you know, what? And to me, I don't understand how we can get to a point like this unless there are deliberate actions and completely reckless negligence on part of, on part of the White House and the administration. And the fact that they have so much power um, is devastating. And we definitely need elected leaders that are going to not just stand up against it, um, but loudly. Um, and form a coalition of other powerful leaders that are going to have the checks and balances because Trump may not be there in 2021, which I'm going to do my hardest to make sure he's not. Um, We need other folks um, in Congress that are going to make sure that they provide all the checks and balances possible in the world so that there isn't another Trump, but also to try and start to correct some of the damage. I mean, we're not going to go magically back to where it was four years ago. Um, We've had irreparable harm. Sure. And by the way, four years ago, not that great for most people still. And this is the whole like people are like, oh, we got to go back. And it's like, no, 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 no. The whole thing is like, we got to build a new thing. And and, and that's actually one of the things I wanted to to talk about a a little bit, which is, you know, should you win, uh, you will be in a position to to be an instrument for for this, not just rebuilding, but building anew, which is something we already needed to do. But we will be digging out of a hole that's going to make, you know, the 20, 2008, 2009 recession, you know, look like a hiccup. Um, re- rebuilding our, our economy and our society, again, like, people are, w- will have been kept away from one another for the first time in a, in a hundred years, for, for months, probably. And and so rebuilding again the economy and the society, which are which are both different things and entangled, are, are going to require tremendous tact and empathy and strategy and execution. So what can a freshman representative from the great state of New Jersey, a, a mother, a scientist, an activist, an immigrant, do to contribute? What would you want to be part of and and where can you feel like you can make the biggest difference as as we do this truly once in a century uh rebuilding effort you know what you said is exactly right i mean part of what i was what i was trying to say earlier is really in 2021 or even in a few months what we're going to what we have is an opportunity to build a system that could hopefully be more equitable for everybody across the board. So fighting for the Green New Deal, fighting for Medicare for all, 
I think that especially after this pandemic is over and hopefully soon, look, we're all going to be devastated in multiple different ways. We're all going to have to face the reality of what it was like and what, you know, what it will be. Um, and this is not to panic anybody, but this is to understand that pandemics like this, frankly, are going to be more common. Um, as climate change yeah. happens, we need to be prepared for this. We need to be prepared at the local government level, which where I am, but also at the federal gov- government level, clearly. Um, because one of the things that this has actually shown us is that when states start stepping up and they have to, and counties and, and local, we, we really need all of those, all of those, um, uh, all of those backups. Um, but it's paramount that we have folks in federal government who form a, in Congress, who form a broad coalition, right, uh, with other with other members of Congress, with progressives, um, as we call them, but also with everybody else. I think that people understand now um, and will understand a lot more about why some of these things are so important. Um, so, 100%. When I go, home, when I am in Congress, um, I will be fighting for to fix this really broken healthcare system. I will be fighting to make sure that we do have a more equitable Green New Deal, right? I will be fighting to make sure that all these things that are broken are not just fixed, but that we have entire new systems um, that really center on more vulnerable communities and they're centered on the people. I feel like what we do now is centered on corporations and businesses. Um, And that's the reality of where we are in politics today. And this is why we are stymied in almost all efforts to truly make the revolutionary changes that we need. Look, (laughs) every day we have crises. I mean, we talk about the pandemic right now, but honestly, it feels as if there are one, two, three, four new things that hit us on a daily basis. And every day that we don't take bold action, um, it's a day that we waste and time is running out. Well, and that's the thing I've always, you know, tried to help people understand with the climate crisis is, is this is not like, and this is not to trivialize basically anything, but there are a a large number of issues where should we vote in one way or another, legislate in one way or another, those are just fixed. It's fairly overnight. Um, uh, Again, uh, again, this is not to trivialize any of these things, but the difference between like saying giving a section of society the ability to vote. Great. Now they can vote. That's done. Right? Theoretically. I mean, they're still fighting. There'll be voter suppression. Obviously, we got a voting rights bill. Yada, yada. Climate crisis is an actual ticking clock. And uh, we're just incredibly behind on it. Um, and and that there is a point where it is going to be very difficult to dig out of. And that is, you know, this 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 pandemic is a great illustration of that, which is like we were not prepared. I mean, Ed Yong uh, wrote such a fantastic article two years ago about, hey, to be clear, we're not prepared for something like this. And then it was like, yep, no, that's that's correct. And again, it's going to be it's going to be terrible. Uh, we didn't get into this to be fear mongers, but we're trying to be objective. And I feel like I'm on the phone with Johns Hopkins and, and such every day. But it, it, it is just it is going to be terrible. But at the same time, we have to and I have to believe that we will learn from this and be infinitely better prepared for the next one because there will be another one and and we have to be because we can't be worse prepared no but you know and and the thing is to have that preparation we need folks in congress who are not afraid of saying this is the reality and this is how we need to lead you know whether or not 
that is going to get you reelected in two years or six years or however that is. You need to have the moral leadership, the ethical leadership. And, you know, I don't know, belief in science, um, facts, um, details, details. (laughs) and integrity to be able to stand up and say, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if this is an unpopular decision right now, because I understand that this is the reality and this is what we need to move towards. And guess what? When you're a leader, you also mold public opinion in that way. You also show the leadership by doing the things that are unpopular, supposedly, but are the right things to do. And after all, that's, isn't that why we elect them? Theoretically. Yeah. I don't, I don't uh, know what we're doing anymore. I was, that has, that's how it was explained to me in, in, in AP political science. <laughs> and, uh, but I, I don't know, man. <laughs> Arthi, could you, we like to... Um, I love to know what gets people to where they are, right? And what inspires and motivates people. Are there are there uh, some books or uh, some some thinkers uh, who have taught taught you how to evaluate the world around you uh, um, uh, in your own thinking? Oh, that's such an interesting question. Um, I don't know that I will say there is one one or two or three people, although I do read a lot of, um, so Ed Young, I read him actually quite a bit. Um, to follow he's, him. he's a treasure. Yeah, he's great. Um, so followed him for a while. I will say that I follow science Twitter. I particularly follow women in science, um, in science yeah. Twitter. So I'm all about that. And I think that especially now um, with a lot of the Me Too science um, and other stories that are coming out, I find them to be so fulfilling. I actually tend to find that poetry is what drives me. And Maya Angelou is one of my favorite poems. In fact, uh, my husband, my now husband, uh, but at the time when we were just first dating, his first gift to me was actually a book of Maya Angelou poems, which I still treasure. Um, nice job. I know. It's the reason he is my husband now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Um, but no, it's, it's really, it's, it's poetry, especially strong women poets like, um, like Maya Angelou that really, I feel like you can have this profound impact and you can have, um, these universal truths that come out through poetry that don't come out any other way. So that speaks to me. Uh, I love that. Uh, poetry is wonderful. It, it feels like the literary equivalent of, um, of what's the, um, the, Japanese turn uh, forest bathing, mm. just going for oh. going for the walk in nature. Yes. It just it uh it is so untethered to like iPhone notifications from the New York Times. It is such an opposite world, and and hopefully is it can be brief, it can be long, but hopefully is evocative enough and different enough to to just move you to a different place at least temporarily. Uh, yes, for sure, and and not for nothing, but I truly enjoy forest bathing as well. So. Oh, hell yeah. I didn't know that there was a term for going and hanging out in the woods. That's incredible. It's a pretty great one, too, right? Forest Forest bathing. bathing, It's amazing. And like usual, like with everything in, you know, in meditation in the past 10 years, like there's so much science behind it. They're like, no, you should really just go for a walk in the woods. It will help everything. (laughs) Oh, that's so great. No, it's great. When I, when I kick my kids out the door, I can now say go forest bathe instead of just get out the house. That's great. I love it. Arthi, what are what are some of the biggest obstacles that that you run into, and how do you feel like those are going to translate into your new career? Mm. So, uh, do you mean obstacles running 
sort of running a primary campaign or just obstacles in, in life. You tell me. <laughs> you tell me. Yeah. It could be your it could be your dog doesn't want to go for a walk. It could be a primary campaign. It could be balancing <laughs> being a working mother. I, you know, again, we, we, we yeah. want, in, in cases like this, we want to help illustrate for people like, yeah, shit's really hard. And these are the specific things. And this is how I, I at least try to deal with them. Yeah, no, shit is really hard. But I'm fortunate enough to have a fantastic support system. So that helps. Nobody, especially these days, really enjoys having a primary challenger. Um, the, the, the consensus seems to be, especially from the DCCC, right, um, that you yeah. don't primary challenge a Democrat. And I completely reject that premise. Primaries mm-hmm. are 100% what we need to do in democracies. We need to have these conversations. We need to really explore the ideas that we need to explore, because at least in my case, you know, my Congress member does not reflect the real democratic values. Um, I, in my case, I do. Um, and I think we need more folks in Congress who are going to, again, be reflective of, of the way we fight for the people, right? That's a challenge. When I first announced, um, it was incredible the amount of people who told me I was overreaching, that I should wait my turn, um, that I was never going to win, that I was never going to have a movement, that people were not going to take me seriously. And all of it is not true. I mean, we are, despite the barriers, that, despite the hoops, right, that they make us jump through, despite the fact mm-hmm. that the DCCC, you know, for example, blacklist, staff members who, you know, who vote for, who will work for my campaign, for example, um, or the establishment, um, Democrats and elected officials feel like they cannot come out publicly and support me because of, you know, because I'm running against an incumbent, despite the fact that they know me and respect me um, and like me and think that I have good ideas, um, despite the fact that I am not taking corporate back money or fossil fuel money, which means that you know, fundraising is extra hard. Despite all of that, my campaign has gained so much momentum. The fact is we have endorsements from national organizations like Progressive Change Campaign Committee. I'm really proud of getting endorsements from national and local individuals, as well as Food and Water Action. All of that. And the fact is we have this grassroots movement. We are knocking on a thousand doors or more a week. And that tells you how much this campaign resonates with people in the district, how much it resonates with people who really want this kind of change. Um, And really, to me, it's about standing up and allowing other folks to see and understand that you can fight for these things, that it's not just all, you know, nothing's ever going to (laughs) change. This is just the way it is. And if you don't fight for it, you know, you're never going to get it. And to me, I think that's one of the most important things um, that has come out of this campaign. And look, I am definitely never going to outraise my opponent. Um, definitely not when I'm not taking corporate PAC money or fossil fuel money. And I refuse to. Um, I, I sure. believe in doing things the right way. But 100% we're outworking him. And 100% my volunteers and my team um, is more dedicated um, and more committed to his cause than I think his is, or, or really, I will put that up against almost any other campaign, um, especially an establishment campaign that we have. Um, and it has nothing to do with anything except purely understanding that we need to build that better system, right? Purely understanding that we need to make, we need to make life more equitable for everybody. And frankly, at the end of the day, 
I started off saying this is an existential crisis. It still is an existential crisis. Right. <laughs> and need, Surprise. Uh, and we need to move to Lido. So we need more legislators. We need more people who are going to be fighting, um, who are going to be voting for the New Deal. We need representatives on all levels. Listen, being on council, um, being on, you know, making sure that we have folks at the local level who also believe in climate change and who are going to try and move that needle, whether or not you're on the board of ed, um, or you're on your local council um, or county or state level, that counts. That is really important. Um, sure. So um, uh, there are definitely barriers, definitely as a woman, um, definitely as a woman of color. Um, but I will tell you, it's amazing that when you're doing the right thing, how many more people come over um, to your side and join the fight. So I'm going to keep hoping that that's, that's, I'm going to be working hard to make sure that continues to happen. I love that. And if you could just get Brian the social security numbers of all those people who told you to wait your turn, we'll just go ahead and take care of that. I'm, I'm ready. I am ready. Um, he's ready. Finish the cocktails. Ready to do some beatdowns. Uh, Rafi, we again. I think I I mentioned this to you, and, and we're so proud of our of our army here. We 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 have so many listeners who've spent the past few years taking action of 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 some sort, whether it's you know terrified and and calling a, a representative for the first time in their life and just leaving a message and feeling like, oh my God, I did it, or they're marching, or they ran for something local, or even more, or or they're a scientist and they've just been doing it the whole time, you know? But you, uh, as we detailed earlier, you've spent so much of your life, using a video game term here, leveling up uh, in this in this game of, of helping people in a variety of ways, and, and now you're trying to help everyone. What advice do you have for people who might be interested in not necessarily following in your footsteps, but who might be interested in learning from you? Are there steps or advice you feel like everyone could could benefit from or or missteps that they could benefit from even more in, in hindsight? I'm, I'm curious. I will tell you the same thing that I actually, I was invited to this um, lovely intern who had a C-16. Um, she's one of my earliest volunteers from when I was actually running for council. And she asked me to say a few words. Uh, and I think it's the same advice, the same advice I would give myself. Um, go out of your comfort zone, even if it means vulnerable and sharing your story. Even if it means going a tiny bit out of your comfort zone, do it. Ask for forgiveness rather than permission. <laughs> Question assumptions and expectations. And honestly, at the end of the day, just do it. Just take the chance. <laughs> just do it. Can you, can you give me an example where you've asked for forgiveness instead of permission? Oh, gosh. Um, one. <laughs> so here's the biggest one. I announced my primary challenge um, and only about I think, 10 people in the world knew I was going to challenge my Congress member. So that was definitely a case of not asking for permission um, and just being bold and doing it. I went ahead and announced it. Not many people knew and people were frankly shocked. And um, the number one complaint I got from the phone calls that I got that day was, oh my gosh, why didn't you ask for permission? And you absolutely do not ever owe anybody permission, <laughs> you know, this request for uh, permission to do the right thing. So that would be the biggest example I have <laughs> of not asking for permission and also not asking for forgiveness either, by the way. Um, I think that we, especially women, especially women of color, need to just take up our own space. 
we need to we need to occupy the space that we have in the world. Um, we don't shrink away from the challenges because we belong here. We have things to say. We are valuable. Our ideas are important. And our voices, they might not be as loud as other people, um, but they are just as important, if not more important than others. Hell yes. Um, I, I love every bit of it. Um, and and yeah, would love if your voices were the loudest or just the only ones at this point would be, would be great. <laughs> if everybody else could just shut up. <laughs> Listen, what did Gloria Steinem say? You can't like power can be taken, but not given. Right. So we have to, we, we all, uh, those of us um, who are a minority in some way, shape or form um, need to go ahead and start figuring out how to take our own power. And I will tell you that process of taking, as she says, is empowerment. That's exactly right. Fuck yeah. Incredible. Incredible. Rock and roll. Um, on that note, yeah, on that note, let's get to some action steps. Um, we we want to make sure that our listeners can uh, support you uh, uh, and your mission with uh, their voice and their vote and their dollar. So so let's get into that, uh, and let's start with their with their voice. What are what are big, actionable, specific questions that we can that we can and should uh, be asking of of our representatives? We can and should be asking all of our representatives, not only where they stand on pollution and the environment and all of that, but we really should be asking them, are they, how are they going to vote for Green New Deal? How are they going to make that a reality? How are they going to help push Medicare for all together? How are they going to help fix a broken healthcare system? And we need to keep asking them over and over and over again. We need to make sure that we know exactly where they are, pin them down on specifics um, of where they are and what they want to do and how, and how you feel about it. I think that's, a, that's something that is of paramount importance. And you can do this you know, by emailing, by calling if you don't feel like, you know, if you don't feel like emailing. But I know that a lot of folks write to, like to write letters and emails, and I think those are just as effective. Um, sure. And when we see bills that are coming up, make sure that your representative is on the right side of history and make sure you call and say, we want you to be on this side um, because it counts. Um, every, every phone call, every email counts. I will also... Yeah, say, not a metaphorical way. They literally count. Right, yeah. right. <laughs> they literally do. Um, actually, I will tell you, even on the local level, uh, we count them. So when I get, you know, when we have a topic that seems to be of importance to people, um, there are times that folks have counted the number of emails and phone calls they received on one side or the other. Um, and there are people who do make a decision that way. So um, it does literally count. Um, so that's, that's one thing. Um, if you believe in any part of having robust discussions, I would say this is, <laughs> this sounds, um, you know, this, this may or may not sound like I'm talking about politics, but really have those conversations with your neighbors. Be a little bit brave and start talking about climate change. Be a little bit brave and start sharing your story about the healthcare system that's broken. And you will be surprised at what your neighbors will tell you and how much they will share their stories. And really, it's that, it's that connection that we need, like real world connection, right, that we need to start building a movement and to start building an understanding of what's really important. So I would say that as well. Um, I love it. Yeah. 
I, I feel, I mean, what, you know, and what could everybody do with their, with their vote? I sort of feel like we, we know. <laughs> but I think this is actually, it, we do know. I mean, it's clearly vote for Rothy. But at the same time, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think going back to something uh, Rothy just said, which is like, hold people accountable. Um, yeah. You know, we're, there's, there's, there's no Green New Deal to vote on first because A, it's not a piece of legislation. It's like nope. 50 different things coming together. But people should be on record now how they're going to vote. And it's actually great that it's they can't vote yet because if they haven't said yes, fucking primary. Like, let them know that you're going to support someone else. Let them know that you're aware of that now, that they're being watched. Um, you well, know, that, how, that... Yeah, 100%. This is how I started, right? So we asked our representative, uh, we asked my Congress member, the one who I'm primary right now, how, how he felt about Green New Deal and how he felt about Medicare for All. And he said those pieces of legislation or those concepts are going nowhere. And I don't think they're going to go anywhere. <laughs> to me, that was mind-boggling. Yeah. Like, uh, and you're like, I had 50 people in my backyard. Exactly God damn it. For you. And you know what? Yeah, I protested. I protested outside his office. Um, I asked to speak with him with you know a bunch of other folks. And I said, no, listen, I don't understand why you think it's not going anywhere unless you're making sure it's not going anywhere. This right, is right. really important. Right? We need a coalition of people. We need to, to really push this because this is critical. This is what we want as your constituents and the fact that you won't even talk about it, that you won't even give it the time of day is what's wrong <laughs> with the system. Sure. So sure. yeah, absolutely. Primary people definitely vote for representatives who are going to uh, have the same values as you, um, who are going to vote for a Green New Deal, who are going to vote for Medicare for All, at least, you know, those concepts. Um, 100% hold them accountable um, for what they tell you. Um, and I will say, I will add to it, Look, vote for, vote for and support candidates who are truly not taking corporate PAC money or fossil fuel money. Because if we really want to progress <laughs> um, in American politics, you can't have elected officials that are beholden to corporations, that are seeking permission from corporate donors. Sure. We need to have elected officials that are only beholden to constituents and to the people. And, you know, we actually just had a really good conversation that's going to come out. In, well, I mean, we're space-time continuum here. Uh, <laughs> that's going to, uh, that's coming out right before yours uh, with Dr. Leah Stokes, who's a fantastic, uh, she's a Canadian who for some reason, like yourself, moved to America and probably regrets it. She says she doesn't. Uh, I don't believe her. She says she um, loves America. Yeah, I know. It's. I think she's being held hostage. Uh, anyways, she her work. She's a new book coming out, but her work is focused on how when you finally write that letter or you call your representative of whatever level, and you also vote for clean energy or climate uh, action or Medicare for all, whatever it might be. How yes, they count all of those, but then how that gets fucked up by corporate interests yeah. and lobbying groups. And the fact that, what was the stat, Brian, from our newsletter? Uh, they spent $85 million in the 2018 uh, election alone, fossil fuel groups. Um, and so that's not to say those calls and, and letters aren't being counted. They are. They have to. It's that it's not that simple. And that's what we're fighting against. And so we have to defeat that and then put people in office like yourself who don't answer to that money. And I, I, I can't explain enough how... It's like herd immunity. If we got enough people in there that don't do that, 
the entire world changes. Everything changes. Those people have nowhere to send their money anymore. Anyways, how do we throw money at your campaign? <laughs> well, third, third. Money, go money. to my, um, yeah, um, you can go to my website. It's artiforcongress.com. And so it's A-R-A-T-I-F-O-R congress.com. Congress. Congress. Uh, yes. And there, there's an act blue link. Um, and please, really, this is definitely a grassroots movement. Any amount, um, any amount that you can contribute is going to go a long way. We're a lean machine. I'm running my campaign out of my house. I've taken over uh, the, the, the first floor in my basement. So <laughs> that nice. money is not going anywhere except um, in reaching out to the voters. Done. I love that. Love uh, scrappy. Scrappy gets it done. It's scrappy and it's, and it's formidable, I will say. I will put up my Hell team yeah. and my volunteers against, the, you know, against anybody else. We are, we are on it. I love that. Um, all right, listen, we're 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 getting close. It's to been time an hour here. or um, something. We're so sorry know, to hold you for so yeah, long. But, uh, yeah, but Skype ruined our day for like twenty minutes before we even got started. Sorry, um, and this has been no, lovely we, and don't worthwhile. Apologize. It's, um, no, th- thank you so much for your time. Uh, we just have a last uh, couple questions, and yeah. Brian has told me I'm legally obligated not. I can't call it a lightning round. He calls them a lightning round, which would infer that it's quick. F- it's not quick. It's quick. She's got to go. All right. Um. Uh, Dr. Krivik, last few. Mm-hmm. Um, when was the first time in your life when you realized you had the power of change or the power to do something meaningful? Ooh, first time in my life. Mm-hmm. Power of change, power of do something meaningful. I would say, <laughs> this is going to sound very crazy. Um, I was about 10 and or maybe nine. And I had to help my mom navigate the American visa process. Um, and I had to be the one who had to translate, um, you know, a bit of the paperwork for him, for her, um, as well with my you know, younger brothers in tow. And I realized that at that moment that I really was the connection um, between my family and, you know, and, and kind of bureaucracy. Um, and that there are ways that I could make things easier. So yeah, I think that was it. That's pretty rad. I mean, that yeah. is a very that is Ten a very tangible old. thing wow. that led to everything else. Mm-hmm. It did. Um, and there are so many stories of people not, much less having a, a daughter, but but anyone who can assist them in that process that gets and the process just goes no goes nowhere, or they forget to fill out one form or one line, and they're stuck, and they can't go anywhere, and none of this happens. Yeah. We don't fix New Jersey. Um, Arathi, who is someone in your life that's positively impacted your work in the past six months? Oh, in the past six months. Get oh, yeah. specific. Uh, but they could not have done it beforehand. It was just within the six months. This is very... I mean, look, I, I, I don't need your PhD picking apart my questions, okay? Listen, just answer it. Scientists are very concrete people. You can just say anything and we won't know, by the way. You can just <laughs> it literally lie to doesn't us. matter. Uh, yes, <laughs> just, I know. People lie to us all the time. I know, but clearly uh, this is you know an existential crisis for me right now. Um, in the past six months, I will say um, it's my friend, Laura. Um, Laura Kitenzi, she actually helped me with my first run. And in the past six months, she actually was my sort of interim campaign manager, putting you know her life on hold with her two little kids. Um, and she's still helping me and my staff. But 
Um, she is a badass woman. I have a, a whole team of badass women, I will tell you. Um, so it's her and, and everyone else. And I'm going to give shout outs. Um, Anna, Mad, um, Lovely, uh, Kira, Alice, Becca. Um, they're my kitchen cabinet. They're the ones who uh, not just keep me sane, but bolster me, um, who give me uh, both strength um, and confidence and a shoulder to cry on all the time. Um, they have changed my life in ways I can't even begin to tell you, um, you know, at this point. And they're the reason that I can do anything that I do. So it's my, it's my squad, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Um, I love that. Is that kitchen cabinet reference uh, an an, like an Andrew Jackson reference? Are you going back that far? <laughs> I could be, except of course, mine is way better than you know. Oh, I mean, for, I mean, you could have said anyone, and it would be better than Andrew Jackson. <laughs> to be fair, clear, yes. I'm just saying that's a very old reference. I did, yeah, I, yeah, noticed, I noticed when you said that, and I had not heard that. Before. I love that. I love that. Doctor, bring it home, Brian. Bring it home. Bring it at home. Thank you, Quinn. What do you feel? Uh, sorry, what do you do? I mean, when you feel overwhelmed, self care. Oh gosh, self care. Um, <laughs> your your RT time. Um, I actually so this is gonna go back to forest bathing. I actually take a walk with my dog. I'm lucky enough to live near an arboretum. It's two blocks away. It's one of my favorite places in the world. Um, so I do that. Um, and or at the same time, um, call up one of my you know one of my squad, and uh, you know they let me rant and rave. So both of those things are therapeutic. <laughs> Very. I love it. Uh, I gotta get I out into it. the woods more. Also, I, hear, I I also I hear your cocktails are good for self care. They're no? so good. I make. Some Can you really send a cocktail, cocktail in the mail? Can Absol- you, is that legal? Absolutely legal. <laughs> sure, it's sure, fine. Sure, sure. It's fine. We got it. Uh, <laughs> uh, Arthi, if you could uh, send one book to Donald Trump, what mm-hmm. book would you send him? I, that is so difficult. I mean, would he read? No, I I feel like we need <laughs> to put a disclaimer. Not. Like we're ninety episodes in, we need to put a disclaimer. Yes, yeah, someone imagine it's audible, or someone will read it to him where it has pictures. Yeah, 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 yeah because yeah. that's I mean that's kind of what like I'm thinking. Um, okay, so for real, I would send him. Uh, I don't know if this would do any good. That's the problem. Oh, I think we're beyond okay. that at this point. <laughs> to be clear. Um, I would give him the, uh, yeah, I would, you know, I'm going to go with poetry. I would send him the giving tree. Um, uh, I know. And with absolutely no hope of, you know, anything yeah. happen. Or, or I would send him, um, you know, Night by Ali Wiesel and see if you know, either one of the two helps. But honestly, I have two to- good choices. I'll be crying the rest of the day. Thank you. Rafi, <laughs> um, last thing. And any, Last brief speaking truth to power uh, that you want to say to our listeners before you get out of here? Um, speaking truth to power, any last things? Um, I know the whole world feels like it's falling apart. Uh, and I know like on a daily basis that it feels like nothing is going to go right. Um, but I find such hope, such hope, because every day I meet people who really just want to take action and who want to step up. Right. And that's what we did after this like shit show of an election in 2016. Um, and I, I am an optimist. I am an optimist in like, uh, let's do the work 
you know, we can, we can do it with hard work kind of way. Right. And I know that if we just all step up even a little bit, (laughs) we're going to make a huge difference. Um, And sometimes that means being brave in real life and having these conversations with our neighbors. And sometimes it means um, being brave by trying to primary an incumbent Congress member who is one of the most conservative Democrats, um, you know, in, in powerful and has voted with, you know, Trump more times than not in his first year. Um, But I think we all have it in us um, to do just a little bit more these days. And I know that that's, that's, what's going to make us, be okay in the end. That works for me. <laughs> get off your asses, people. Let's do it. I mean, don't leave your house. You're not allowed to leave no, your get house. Get off your ass inside your Unless, house. Yeah, right, right, right. Digitally, yeah. digitally. Don't go outside. <laughs> oh my god! Just, like, wash your hands. Wash, wash your hands. Hand. Stop before. touching your know. face. Now it's like I've I've spent years times for sure you feel this way. You've got two boys, like boys are monsters. I've spent my kids' entire life like telling them to stop touching their face. Now yeah. I feel like I have to tell everybody that. I know. That between <sighs> that and washing hands, I'm like, who was not doing this? Why is still uh, so, not on the shelves so anymore? Like who is not washing their hands? <laughs> it's very upsetting. Uh, the answer is every guy in every airport bathroom, Ugh. but we don't have time oh, for that. Anyways, listen, this, is yeah. this has been so great. Um, uh, Dr. Rothi, thank you so much for your time, uh, for stalking us. Always love hearing from those stalkers. Uh, at least you didn't glue letters to a piece of paper like some people oh, do. I mean, no. um, that was next, but... <clears throat> yeah, we'll if I didn't pick up, we will. We'll take it. <laughs> it make Brian feel pretty good. Um, do you have a, do you uh, have we'll a Twitter? Can we follow you online? Can we tell people to follow you online? Keep up with you. Yes, uh, Twitter, Facebook, and Insta. It's all RT for Congress, and it's A R A T I numeral four Congress. Ooh, that's not that's not clinchy. What is it? What was your son say? Oh, cringy. Cringy, yeah, cringy, cringy. Yeah, that's not cringy. That's pretty cool. And I'm just um, and you, I should Very be doing this fine because I follow you all in the podcast. So, oh god, I'm sorry. There's so much. <laughs> so there's such a wider world out there. Uh, all right, listen, you got a campaign to run and doors to knock on. Hopefully, with gloves and you're washing hands afterwards. Of course. Um, um, good luck. We will talk to you very soon. Uh, Brian's just gonna be taking care of those few people yep, and everything's gonna numbers. be great. That's good. Um, thank you. <laughs> Rothy, thank you. And uh, we will talk to you soon. Okay. I really appreciate it. Thanks to our incredible guest today. And thanks to all of you for tuning in. We hope this episode has made your commute or awesome workout or dishwashing or fucking dog walking late at night that much more pleasant. As a reminder, please subscribe to our free email newsletter at importantnotimportant.com. It is all the news most vital to our survival as a species. And you can follow us all over the internet. You can find us on Twitter at important, not imp. Uh, just so weird. Also on Facebook and Instagram at Important Not Important, Pinterest and Tumblr, the same thing. So check us out, follow us, share us, like us, you know the deal. And please subscribe to our show wherever you listen to things like this. And if you're really fucking awesome, rate us on Apple Podcasts. Keep the lights on. Thanks. Please. (laughs) And you can find the show notes from today right in your little podcast player and at our website, importantnotimportant.com. Thanks to the very awesome Tim Blaine for our jamming music, to all of you for listening, and finally, most importantly, to our moms for making us. Have a great day. Thanks, guys. Thanks.